So we're going to talk about the ninth and tenth commandment. What's the ninth commandment? You shall not covet, covet your neighbor's wife. And the tenth is you shall, you shall not covet your neighbor's goods. Okay. So what's our class outline? First, we will talk about internal sins. And then purity of heart, and then struggling for purity, and to be poor in heart. Okay. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the ninth commandment is, you shall not covet thy neighbor's wife. And the tenth, you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his manservant, or his maidservant, his ox, or his ass, or anything that is your neighbor's. So that, those words are from Deuteronomy. And from St. Matthew, we will read, Everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in her, with her in his heart. So what are internal sins? Uh, the two commandments, the ninth and tenth commandment, refer to internal acts that are sins against the sixth and seventh commandments, which moral tradition classifies as internal sins. They prescribe leaving purity, which is the ninth commandment, and Detachment from material goods, which is the tenth commandment. So we have to leave purity and detachment from material goods in our thoughts and desires, living in accord with Christ's words. We read from St. Matthew, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, and Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So does it make sense for us to be talking of internal sins? Why should an act of the intellect and will that is not expressed or acted upon in an external action be viewed as morally evil? So the answer is not obvious since the list of sins found in the New Testament appear to be mainly external acts like adultery, fornication, homicide, idolatry, sorcery, angry arguments. No? And yet, we also see in this catalog of sins from the Gospels, we also find certain internal acts cited as sins like the sins of envy, evil desires, and avarice. So Jesus himself says that evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, or slander, which we find in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, come from man's heart. And referring specifically to purity, Christ teaches that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
So these readings from the Gospels are important for our understanding of morality since they stress that the source of human actions and therefore of the good or evil in a person is found in the desires of the heart, in what the person wants and chooses. So the evil of murder, adultery, theft is not primarily in the physical reality of the action or, it, or in its consequence, although it is an important part of it, but in the will, in the heart of the murderer or the adulterer or the thief who, in choosing that particular action to kill or to engage in um, for the fornication with a person other than your spouse or to steal something is deciding on an orientation opposed to love for his neighbor and therefore also to love for God when we say that um, God is in the other person because everyone is made in the image and likeness of God. So what we're saying here is um, the primary primary um, evil is the person choosing an orientation opposed to love for God, going against the Ten Commandments that he has expressly given us, um, though there is also evil in the consequence of that um, deliberate deliberate um, action. So sin starts in the mind and heart of man, but he, but man also is given the freedom to choose to act on it or not. So that is essential, no? That freedom. So the... Um, the thought or the desire might be there, but um, choosing to act on it or not, or choosing to entertain that thought to prolong it or to cultivate that thought and desire is dependent on our freedom. And once we exercise that freedom, then morality comes in. So the will always seeks a good, but at times what appears good is something that is not rationally ordered to one's overall good. The thief seeks something that he considers good, but the fact that the object belongs to another person makes the choice to obtain it something that cannot contribute to his own good as a person mm. or to the purpose of his life. So in this sense, an exterior action is not required to decide if the will is heading in a good or bad direction. Anyone who decides to steal an object, even if something unforeseen keeps him from doing so, has acted badly. So you have entertained the thought of stealing, you know, what? stealing the car of your neighbor or the motorcycle of your neighbor. 
and you have plotted how to do it. But on the day that you decide to execute this action or this thought, you were precluded from doing it because um, your neighbor didn't go home um, on the usual time that he goes home. So you couldn't um, execute the plan you had thought of. So the fact that you were not able to steal it externally, doing that external act of really taking possession of the motorcycle um, does not mean that you have not committed a sin because you have already desired it and planned doing it and giving in, you, you gave in, you have chosen to exercise your freedom to, to give in to that desire or in that thought of stealing. So he, that person has carried out an internal act of the will against the virtue of justice. So the goodness or wickedness of a person is rooted in the will. And so strictly speaking, we should use these categories to refer to desires, what we want or approve and not to thoughts, no? So not just having that mere thought, no? But what do we do when a thought crosses our mind? Do we say yes? Okay, I want to cultivate this thought into a desire, into something that I want. Or do we um, brush it off and not entertain the thought? So having a thought is not a sin, but to desire what the thought brings us, that is the sin, no? To choose to desire the thought or to cultivate that thought and to entertain the thought that is the internal sin. So when the ninth commandment forbids impure thoughts, it is not referring to images or to the, or to the thoughts in themselves, but to the movement of the will, which accepts the disordered pleasure provoked by a certain image. So internal sins um, can be divided into evil thoughts, so this consists in imagining a sinful act without the intention to carry it out. It is a mortal sin if it involves a serious matter and if taking pleasure in it is sought, sought or consented to. Imagining a sinful act, what? Engaging in fornication with a neighbor that you find very attractive. So it is a mortal sin because it is a grave matter. So evil desire. So an internal desire for a sinful action that the person willingly accepts. So this is not the same as the intention to carry it out, which always implies the actual desire to do so. Although in many cases, the person would carry it out if not for a restraining reason, such as the consequences of the action or the difficulty in carrying it out. 
And then we also have sinful complacence, which is deliber deliberately taking pleasure in an evil action carried out by oneself or by others. So this renews the sin in the soul. So in themselves, internal sins are usually less serious than the corresponding external sins. Since the external action generally manifests a more deliberate willingness. However, internal sins can also be very dangerous. Above all, for persons seeking to grow in friendship with God. Why? Because internal sins can be committed more easily. Since only the consent of the will is needed and temptations can be more frequent. And then also man has the tendency to pay less attention to these internal sins. Since at times out of ignorance and at times out of a certain complicity with the passions, one does not want to recognize them as sins. At least venial ones if there is imperfect consent. So internal sins can deform the conscience as when one accepts an internal venial sin as a matter of habit or with a certain frequency, although one seeks to avoid mortal sin. So it's, we can be tempted to think, just a venial sin, it's okay. I just have to say an act of contrition. I don't have to go to con confession. So this deformation can give rise to manifestations of irritability, lack of charity, critical spirit, and resigning oneself to having frequent temptations without struggling against them. In some cases, this can lead to not wanting to recognize internal sins, hiding them with unreasonable excuses, and leads to confusing one's conscience even more. A result of this is a person's self-love easily increases, worries arise, humility and sincere contrition become more difficult, and lukewarmness can easily result. So what can also help in our struggle against more internal sins is prayer, mortification, and work, and seeking God sincerely. It is to what um, keep ourselves busy so that temptations do not do not come up, uh, keeping our minds engaged. And then also by practicing the virtue of humility, asking for it, because this enables us to recognize our wretchedness without getting discouraged by our mistakes and trust in God, knowing that he is always ready to forgive us. And then lastly, being sincere with God, with ourselves and with our spiritual directors when we go for spiritual direction and taking care of the examination of conscience, being sincere with ourselves before God 
so that we make a good examination of conscience. So the ninth and tenth commandments deal with the internal roots of sin against chastity and justice and in a wider sen sense of any sin because, uh, yeah, the internal roots of any sin. So in a positive sense, these commandments prompt us to act with a right intention, with a pure heart. Therefore, they are very important since they are concerned with the source um, which give rise to all our external actions. So these internal operations are fundamental in the moral life of a Christian, where the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the infused virtues are received in accordance with a person's disposition. So the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the virtues grow depending on our disposition. Special importance here are the moral virtues, which are dispositions of the will and of the sense appetites to do good. So when we give importance to these factors, we can overcome a certain caricature of the moral life as merely a struggle to avoid sin and discover the immense positive panorama of the effort to grow in virtue and purify our heart. Because we love our Lord, and we want to be worthy of that love. So these commandments, these commandments refer more specifically to the internal sins against chastity and justice. So these are clearly reflected in, um, in the scriptures when we read from John. Three kinds of covetousness or concupiscence, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. So the ninth commandment focuses on controlling the concupiscence of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, and the tenth on the concupiscence of others' possessions. Possessions. No? the desire of accumulating or having what another person has. So the commandment prohibits us from being carried away consciously and voluntarily by the desires of the flesh and material goods. So these disordered tendencies of concupiscence consist in the rebellion of the flesh against the spirit. Um, we are told or we learn that concupiscence stems from the disobedience of the first sin, no? the original sin. After the original sin, no one has been free of concupiscence except our Lord Jesus Christ and the Blessed Virgin. So although <clears throat> concupiscence or a strong desire for something is 
in itself not sinful, it inclines us to sin and gives rise to sin when it is not subject to reason, enlightened by faith with the help of grace. So if one overlooks the reality of concupiscence, it is easy to think that all the tendencies we feel are natural and that there is nothing wrong in being guided by them. So many people realize that this is false when they consider the impulse to violence. No? Sometimes, uh, well, a natural tendency to be very upset and to act on that um, feeling. No? Because we see clearly that it, we must not be led by, that, by this impulse, but must control it because it is not natural. But they do not want, but people, society, do not want to recognize the same thing when it is a question of purity, claiming that there is nothing wrong in letting oneself be led by the natural stimuli. So when it is to give in to violence, it's something that they do not understand, even to what? <laughs> violence to pets or to animals, which some people are really vehemently against but when it is um, an action with regard to modesty and purity um, they say that there's nothing wrong when we let ourselves be led by by what comes naturally so the ninth commandment helps us to understand that this is not true since concupiscence has wounded our nature. And what we feel as natural is frequently the consequence of sin and needs to be controlled. We can say the same thing about the excessive desire for riches or covetousness prohibited by the Tenth Commandment. So it is important that we are aware of this disorder caused in us by original sin and by our personal sins since knowing this, we will be led to, to pray because only God can heal our wounded nature, which is the source of our concupiscence. And likewise, only with God's help will we succeed in overcoming this disordered tendency. So God's grace heals our wounded nature and raises us to the supernatural order. And we should not doubt that we are, that we can be, no, raised to the supernatural order. There's no doubt, no, uh, that that is possible because God made us in his image and likeness and calls us to his life um, in heaven. Knowing also that we have a wounded nature teaches us to love all creatures. Since everything coming from God's hands was created good. So it is our disordered desires that twist God's creation. So purity of heart means having a healthy way of feeling. With God's help and our own struggle, we can acquire an ever greater purity of heart. Purity in our thoughts and desires. So Christians 
obtain this purity through God's grace and through the virtue and the gift of chastity, through purity of intention and vision and through prayer. So purity of vision is not just refusing to look at something clearly unsuitable. It also require, requires purifying the use of our external senses, leading us to look at the world and at other men and women with a supernatural vision, with the eyes of Christ. So this entails a positive struggle that enables us to discover the real beauty of all created reality, and in a special way, the beauty of those who have been formed in the image and likeness of God. Purity requires modesty, which is an integral part of temperance. No? Modesty protects the in intimate center of the person. It means refusing to unveil what should remain hidden. It is ordered to chastity, to whose sensitivity it bears witness. It guides how one looks at others and behaves towards them in conformity with the dignity of persons and their solidarity. So desire for true happiness frees man from his immoderate attachment to the goods of this world so that he can find his fulfillment in the vision and beatitude of God. So the promise of seeing God surpasses all goodness, all beatitude. In scripture, to see is to possess. So whoever sees God has obtained all the goods of which he can conceive. So when we are convinced of that and live with that knowledge, then the things around us do not matter because all that matters is to be with God and to see God. And when we do that, we choose what is perfect and what is God because we choose God. And once we choose God, we obtain all the goods, all the beatitudes that we can ever conceive. So material goods are goods as a means but not as an end. So they cannot satisfy man's heart, which is made for God and is not satisfied with material well-being. So we, I'm sure we are all familiar with that quote from St. Augustine, my heart is restless until it rests in thee, my God. So the Tenth Commandment forbids greed and the desire to amass earthly goods without limit. It forbids avarice arising from a passion for riches and their attendant power. It also forbids the desire to commit injustice by harming our neighbor in his temporal goods. So sin is turning away from God and turning towards creatures. So attachment to material goods nourishes the root of this turning towards creatures and leads to blindness of spirit and hardness of heart. So if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, 
yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? We cannot serve both God and riches, or we cannot serve both God and mammon. So the exaggerated importance given to material well-being today, putting it above many other values, is not a sign of human progress. It implies a lessening and degradation of man whose dignity resides in being a spiritual creature called to eternal life as a son of God. The Tenth Commandment requires that envy be banished from the human heart. So envy is a capital sin. It refers to the sadness that at the sight of another's goods. Envy can give rise to many other sins, such as hatred, calumny, detraction, and disobedience. So it is also opposed to charity, which leads us to desire what is good for others as a manifestation of the love we have for them. So the virtue of humility also helps us in this struggle since envy often arises from pride. 